Here at Doxaday Bloom, we are excited about making disciples who impact the city and nations. We hope that you enjoy today's message. The thing of Doxadeo is uh, if you want to understand something of who we are and what we stand for, of course we love Jesus, we on the sideline love coffee, but we love the city. Uh, we love the city. We have a call of God to serve the city, to trust, to see Him work in the city. The church is not our focus. The city is our focus. And every missional community that we call church, which is a campus, a local church, its only reason for existence is serving this community. And that's really our hearts. And as we busy with this, this series that I'm going to also uh, end this morning, our generosity series that we call All Things New, that's exactly what I also want to stir in your heart today again as we just bring alignment in our hearts. And every year, so if, you, if you're a visitor here, please do understand, uh, not from my side, apologizing, but just giving context uh, in terms of what we do during our generosity series. It's two things. We want to trust God to bring an alignment in our hearts as we focus on the city, as we stir faith in our hearts for the city, trusting God that we will see things change and that we will be a life-giving source in this community. And uh, secondly, it's our opportunity, opportunity yearly that we ask for a contribution towards our generosity fund. So there's no obligation or pressure on you today, but at the end of this sermon, I am going to talk about a contribution uh, towards our generosity fund. And the generosity fund, of course, is what we use to finance most of our projects in the city, both startups and existing projects, trusting God to, uh, to have impact. That will be like our pop-up process, our tree worker process in schools, uh, our hope process, feeding people, um, our children's home, which is a big focus for us, uh, right through everything up to uh, serving Saturdays that you just saw on the screen, trusting God that everywhere in the city we will make God visible, because that's what we do. We make Him visible through our love, through our care, through the fact that we bring faith into the city. Uh, we make Christ visible in the city. So please don't be nervous. We're not going to do it every Sunday, and that's also the reason for this lovely little display. I'll talk about that later if you were wondering why is there a braai on the, on the pulpit. Um, I'll quickly explain that a little later. So as we dive into the last portion of this series called All Things New, um, I want to start with uh, what they call, uh, and I'm not a doctor, so if there's any doctors and I'm wrong, please come explain to me later. But apparently there's a condition that they call hemianopia. Now it's the first time in my life I saw this. The guys doing the sermon research came across this, so I'm talking out of their mouths. mouths. So um, hemianopia is uh, when both your eyes just see half a picture. So this is what it looks when you have hemanopia. This is what it looks when you have normal vision. Then you see the whole picture. So if you have this condition, it means that both eyes just see half the picture and your brain kind of only can grasp half the picture. And I think for the larger part, our intent and God's heart in this series is to Trust Him to restore our full vision. 
Because many times in churches, especially in this recent season, we see churches focusing only on half the picture. And half the picture many times imply the fact that as churches we are very aware of the fact that sin and brokenness came into this world. And we also celebrate God's provision in His Son through salvation. And I mean, that's two very important moments we understand in the, in the story of the gospel. Sin came in the world, Jesus came, and He made it possible for us to be restored. But the problem with, if we only look at this half a picture, is that then we understand that we lost, we understand that we get saved, and now we go to heaven. Um, and that is beautifully, and of course, Christ's coming literally changed man's destiny for eternity. We believe that. But that's not the full picture of the gospel. As we see the picture of the gospel, we discover there's a moment that we call creation. And creation was very special because it was God pouring himself into something we now call this planet and humanity and every city and every institution in this, on this, in this world was literally, it's an expression of who God is. And it is important for God. That picture of how he made things is an indication of how things should be. And if we miss that, we miss an important part of the full vision. And of course, if we see the creation picture, then we're also just reminded and stirred in our hearts with the fact that there's also a restoration picture. The fact that in the end, God will make all things new. The way it was before sin and salvation came into this world, there will be a day that it will be like that, even better again. That is the restoration part. And as a church, we find ourselves in that space where we're not trusting God just for salvation, but we're trusting Him to see restoration taking place in the city. And that's a, just as you need faith for salvation, you need faith for restoration. You see, we don't look at a person and say, oh, well, if we just, you know, just tweak this person, do a bit of self-improvement, that person will go to heaven. We say, no, you need to meet Jesus and put your faith in him, and then your eternal destination will be changed. You will discover who you are. And if we look at our city, we need exactly that same kind of faith, but not towards a person, but toward a city. Saying, God, we need to discover that you see in this city the potential of restoration. And as we journey through this, we trust God to fix this hemianopia. I mean, we're all very aware, guys. When I preach this, I'm so aware that every day we are confronted with a brokenness of people. We are confronted with the brokenness of this world in your workplace, in your school, at university. You see the brokenness. We're confronted. It's very real. It's very concrete. But that does not make God's promise over this world less realistic and less of an important thing. The moment we discover that God's picture of this world is one of restoration, that's when faith stirs in our heart to say, we're not going to wait for someday. We're going to start trusting and working today, making this thing real in our world. We're very aware today uh, as Britain has a new king, King Charles III, ascended to the throne. And uh, I think, uh, I suppose, the first word a, a king speaks when he's 
He's on the throne. It's very important. But there's a moment that Revelation 21 speaks about when Jesus Christ, the Lord of all, ascended unto the throne and became the king of the universe. And his first words were these, I am making all things new. That's the agenda of the king. That's the agenda of the kingdom. He's not saying I'm making all new things. He's saying, I'm making all things new. It means what's here now, the existing stuff, is important to God. This planet, the people of this planet, the institutions of this planet, every business, every sports field, every media house is important to God. And it's as if we are stirred in the fact, can God make something beautiful of the mess we see in this world? I, I brought along two uh, pictures just in terms of artwork. And this one is a, is a guy that uses plastic bottles, stuff that people throw away, junk, to make these art. And when we see that, we realize that's what God is doing, and it stirs faith in our heart. Can you believe that in the brokenness of this world, what you see every day, that God can use all of this brokenness and make an artwork that represents His original intent of the beauty of creation? Because that's what God is busy with. He's not taking new stuff to make an artwork. He's taking the existing stuff. The second one is of a guy that uses magazines, also junk that people throw away. And he makes these massive, large artworks out of the pictures of magazines. Is it possible that God can make a new thing? That God can use the existing brokenness? I love the way N.T. Wright puts it. He says, sometimes we think we are busy oiling a machine that's going to be demolished. Sometimes we think we, we, we're planting rose bushes in a garden that's be, going to become a construction site. Somewhere someone is going to take out all the roses and throw it away. And we wasted our energy and wasted our time. This is the reality. Every act of kindness, every act of faith, every act of hope that we bring to this world will add to the resurrection power of Christ in Him making all things new. Can you imagine it? That if we touch a life, that if we beautify something, if we bring something of hope into this world, it adds up into the sum total of the resurrection of Christ, making all things new. That is the heart of the gospel. And when, when our vision has been restored to see this whole picture, that is when we become role players in this. And I love when, when Jesus started out John chapter 4 with speaking with a lady sitting at a well uh, with, in a conversation about ordinary water. He says the following to her. He says, if you knew the generosity of God, if you knew the abundance in him, in his capacity to create and make new. He said, you would not just be talking to me about ordinary water. You'd be asking me for living water. And God is in the business of living water, not just creating and, and, and sustaining something of life through ordinary water. The way we go to, to work every day, the way that we earn a salary, the way that we, you, you, we utilize our talents to, to actually make a difference. God is in the business of living water, creating something that will be sustainable in itself, something that carries life. And the generosity of the Father is something that stirs that. If we but understood how much God has to give in this world, 
we would have looked at this world in much a different way. Every time Jesus does a miracle, he's looking back and he's looking forward. When he, when he feeds the 5,000 that we're going to talk about this morning, it's talking about a season way back in creation when there were no hunger. And it's also looking forward towards a moment in the future where there will be no more hunger. Can you imagine that world? It asks for faith because we can get stuck in a hemianopia vision saying this world is messed up and it needs to be destroyed because everything is broken. God saying, no, it's not. I see potential. I see life. I will create living water through this planet. When Jesus heals someone that is sick, it's looking back saying there was a time where sickness did not dominate humanity. And it's looking forward to a season where sickness and, and, and disease and germs and whatever virus you can imagine will no longer dominate humanity. Because the one sitting on the throne, the new king is saying, I'm making all things new. And we need to move into that space. Jesus takes his disciples on this journey. And I mean, it is... It is a, an amazing journey, and I think Jesus works with his disciples in such a beautiful way. But he's also working with us in that same way, saying, can I quickly fix your vision? Can I take you out of this, seeing only half the picture, seeing only the damage, seeing only the brokenness, and creating faith in you to see the picture of God restoring everything and break, bringing it to, to the original intent and even something more beautiful than what it was in the beginning because it's now also carrying something of the scars of the brokenness and the shadow and every artwork needs the little shadow. Otherwise, it's not real art. And God is taking his disciples, Jesus is taking his disciples uh, on that journey. So I wish I could read the whole portion of scripture, but it's going to take way too long and then you're going to get bored. Um, but uh, I want to really challenge you to go read the, the book of Mark from chapter 5 to the end of chapter 8, just to kind of grab the story. I'm quickly going to run through it, just through the key moments and explain something of it. So what happens in chapter 5 is Jesus is working with a bunch of disciples. They are beautiful people, very crazy, very weird, uh, not a lot of potential kind of at the bottom of the bucket. Uh, they were not the, 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 the best. They're not the cream of the crop. But Jesus got this bunch of people together. A bunch of beautiful Jewish boys. I mean, they understood the gospel or the, the temple. They understood the sacrifices. They understood their culture. They were, they were faithful to this culture. They understood that's the way that we live as Jewish men. And then Jesus says a very insignificant thing for us, but a very massive thing for them. He looks at them and he says, chapter 5. He says, let's go to the other side. Oh, well, for us, what does other side mean? You know, is it the other side of the street? Uh, is it uh, the other side of town? Uh, what, what's, what's the other side? For the Jewish guys, that was like a bomb that dropped. When Jesus said, let's go to the other side. Because on the other side, this side, the known side, the world that they knew, just as we know our worlds, What's the familiar stuff? The temple, the sacrifices, the way everybody uh, worshipped God. On the other side was Decapolis, a Greek society. I mean, they were worshipping idols, just on the other side of the, the lake, worshipping idols. They were sacrificing their children. That's the kind of people they were. So you could, you could hear the, Jesus, why would you want to take us to the 
other side? Isn't there enough work just on this side? You know, we, we, can, we can work where we're familiar. But the big thing for those boys were one thing. Those guys on the other side, and you'll hear it through the whole story, they ate pork. That was the big thing. Jewish men did not eat pork. They understood the law. So, and I don't want to go there, so don't get all messed up with the pork thing. But they were messed up with the pork thing. And you'll see it later. I mean, the, the gospel writers could have said anything in the gospel, but they got stuck on the pigs. Because they were, they were hearing Jesus say, let's go to the other side. And they were saying, yeah, yeah, we know they worship idols and we know they sacrifice their children. But Jesus, they eat pork. It's like, do you know these people? They eat pork. It's terrible. People, we, we can't like go serve them. We can't go do anything because they are so much different than we. Let's stick to what we know. And then Jesus gets them all into this little boat and they start going over to the other side. And then halfway on their way to the other side, guess what happens? A storm breaks loose. I can hear those, those amazing Jewish boys saying to Jesus, Yeah, we told you, God is not with us going to the other side. Look at the storm. We're going to die. Turn around. Go back. We're not going to the other side. We're not going to the place where people eat pork. I mean, they eat pork, Jesus. I mean, how can we go to them? And then Jesus sleeping, wakes up, calms the storm, looks back, looks forward. They don't catch it. They're just busy with the storm. They're just busy with the pigs. They don't catch it. Jesus is saying, I'm bringing hope. I'm bringing hope. I'm bringing light into darkness. And then they get to the other side. I suppose they were already thinking because on the known side, Jesus was already something of a celebrity. So he, he, everybody followed him. Everybody was aware of him. So they were probably thinking on the other side, there will be like a nice, you know, welcoming committee. I suppose most of them were just hoping that they will not be serving pork when they welcome them. So now Jesus and the disciples get to the other side and then there's no welcoming committee. Nothing. Just one guy. A demon-possessed man. And he's running naked amongst the graves, kind of hurting himself. So I can, I can just see those Jewish boys saying, Jesus, we told you about the other side. We told you about the pork. We told you about the storm. And look now, the only person that arrives for your church meeting is a demon-possessed guy running through the graves. Jesus, let's turn around. There's no hope here. There's no potential here. Let's go to what we know, you know, like that vision we see, the, the, the part we like, the part in which we are comfortable. Let's go there. Let's focus on that. One eye closed. But then something beautiful happens. Jesus looks at this demon-possessed man. Oh, and you can just see the king is on the throne. As he frees this man. And suddenly, this man is transformed. Again, looking back, looking forward. Jesus literally illustrates the fact that a new king is on the throne and he's making all things new. But the disciples, they don't get it. They're still busy with the pork. Because as Mark writes this gospel, he's more interested in the fact that Jesus drove the, the demons into the pigs 
that committed suicide than he's actually excited about the man that has just been freed and saved. And, and he writes this whole thing about the pigs, you know, the pigs. They, they committed suicide and they smashed up the whole pork economy in Decapolis. So now they have to flee for their life because the pork farmers is coming for them. You smashed up the economy. And then we, we see this beautiful little story in Mark chapter 5 that, that is so significant. As Jesus gets into the boat, ready to go to the familiar side again, this demon-possessed man wants to go with Jesus. He wants to leave this area. And Jesus does something very significant. He says, as Jesus was getting into the boat, verse 18, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. You can understand why. But Jesus did not let him, but said. And listen to this very simple, very profound mandate. Jesus says, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. I get afraid when I read this. Because this is Jesus saying, I have enough faith in you. You alone, only one on the welcoming committee, the demon-possessed guy running amongst the graves, I have enough faith in you to change this area. I'm going back. Taking these disciples, they now so afraid of the pork farmers. We're going back. So, this guy stays behind. And Jesus leaves him. Um, he says, tell them how, the God, how God has shown mercy to you. So the man went, about, went away and began to tell in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And the people were amazed. So Jesus is now back on the familiar side again. And the whole story transpires, and you can see he's on this journey with his disciples. And on this side, there's that moment where Jesus uh, was teaching, and the people were hungry, and Jesus asked the disciples, what are we going to do for them? And the disciples, after this whole process that Jesus has been showing them, there's so much potential in one human being. There's so much power in Christ. Looks at his disciples and says, okay, guys, what are we going to do with the 5,000 people? And they say, send them home. I think, I think Jesus was really gracious because if it was me, I would have likened just maybe to shake them a little bit. Don't you get it? Don't you get it? You are the ones. I'm putting my hand on you. I want to use you in this situation. When there's hungry people, it's not about the hungry people. It's about you. It's about the fact that you can do something. And then Jesus says, go find something. And then they go and they find a little boy with a lunchbox. Little bit of fish, little bit of bread. I don't think he came voluntarily, but he did come. And Jesus takes the bread and he takes the fish. And he suddenly, whenever they put something that belongs to them in the hands of Jesus, they see the miracle how Jesus takes the little bit they give and he increases it to address the need of the crowd. And the disciples are looking at this and they're saying, wow, this is amazing. And 12 baskets are left over. But Jesus looks at this and, and Mark writes it just a few verses later. He says, they did not get why Jesus did the miracle. They got all excited about the miracle and they did not realize that they are actually God's miracle. 
And he wants to use them. Because just after that, same story. Like version number two, like a, like a good garage pie. You know, when you eat a garage pie, it comes back. So now the story comes back in the form of indigestion. Jesus says to them, let's go to the other side. Can you believe it? Jesus is literally taking them on the same journey for a second time. But this time Mark writes, go read it. He says, Jesus had to force them to get in the boat. I can see that picture. Just these disciples say, no, 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 no. You remember last time? You remember the storm? You remember the demon-possessed guy? You remember the farmers? We're not going there. And Jesus forces them into the boat. And then guess what the second time? Jesus doesn't get in the boat. He says, you go. And what happens? A storm. They still don't get it. They still don't get it. They don't get the fact that Jesus is sending them. They don't get the fact that the bread thing was all about them. They don't understand that if they bring something to Jesus, it will be enough to change the world. They're all stuck just on themselves. And then, when the storm comes, second story, Jesus comes walking on the water. I mean, just in that, they would have, I suppose they should have. Just said, if Jesus can walk on water, we think maybe God is busy saying something to us. You know, you don't every day like see someone walking on water. But they don't get it. So kind of Peter wants to get out. There's the whole sinking story there. And then they get to the other side. And now it's almost you, you hear the little drum roll. What's going to be on the other side? I can just hear the conversation in the boat. Yeah, that guy, that demon-possessed guy that Jesus got so all excited about. He probably is now in cahoots with the farmers and they're waiting for us. Because we are not welcome in that area. We are a problem in that area. We are going to run for our lives Again. And then they arrive at the other side. Listen what Mark writes. Verse 54. As soon as they got out of the boat, people recognized Jesus. So now Jesus is famous on the other side as well. Well, if we read only till there, it could have been it was because of the farmers. They were ready to kill him. No. Look what they did. They ran throughout that whole region and carried the sick on mats to wherever they heard he was. And wherever he went into villages, towns, and countryside, they placed the sick in the marketplaces. They begged him to let them touch even the edge of his cloak and all who touched it, were healed. What on earth did this demon-possessed man do while Jesus was on the familiar side again? Only what Jesus said. Go tell them what God has done for you. They literally became city changers. That man activated a bunch of guys that understood that there's someone on the throne that can actually look back and look forward and address the brokenness of this world. 
And hope was born in their hearts. And they started running to him. All because of one crazy guy running amongst graves. The most scary part of this story is the fact that Jesus looks at us and say, I see potential in you. If I can use a demon-possessed guy to transform a whole region, what can I do through you? Jesus, sorry, I'm not qualified. You know, I'm not really quite ready. I've not been that, a Christian that long. You know, I don't have a lot of talents. I don't have a lot of resources. Jesus, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm just me. I'm just poor old me. I can do nothing for you. Nonsense! Jesus sees potential in a demon. I, I mean, everybody upwards from there has more potential than this guy. So unless you're naked running amongst graves, worse than that, you exclude it. The rest of us are included. We include it in this picture of Jesus saying, I will use you. And the disciples, we would have thought, the disciples would have now kind of caught on with the agenda. Understanding Jesus was busy with them, restoring their vision. But they're not. So now Jesus is teaching. All the people came. Just like on the familiar side, now there's 4,000 people. 5,000 there, 4,000 here. Jesus is teaching. Three days with no end. If you ever think a Doxodeo's celebration service is too long, speak to Jesus. Preaching three days. No toilet breaks. No lunch breaks. He's preaching. I mean, he's only got limited time, so he's going for the kill. And now he looks at his disciples and he says, I think the people are hungry. What are we going to do? Oh, my word. He would have thought the disciples would have at this stage already got to understand that Jesus has an agenda with them. That he wants to use them in these critical situations to bring the hope of God into this environment. He's expecting them to make God visible. What does the disciples say? Oh, let's send them home. Like we did on the other side. And Jesus says, no, we did not send them home. Do you remember? Like five pieces of bread, two fish, many baskets left, people eating. Do you remember that? No, they can't remember at all. They suddenly got like a massive, massive problem with remembering. And then you can see the way that Mark writes this. It's actually so beautiful. I love seeing almost the emotion in Scripture. As, as Jesus says to them, what do you have? And they say, Seven. <laughs> Can you just hear the bad attitude? <laughs> what do you have? Seven. It's like my children when they were teenagers and you asked them a favor and they would reply by saying, does it involve moving? And like, I want to smack you. That's why I'm asking you. It involves moving and I don't want to move. I want you to move. And Jesus says, it's not about me. I don't want to do this thing. I want you to discover that you are actually God's presence in this world. You carry faith in your hand. What do you have? Seven. Seven what? No, seven. Seven whatever. And then Jesus does the miracle a second time. And they bring the seven. Whatever. And suddenly, that little they brought in the hands of Jesus increased to feed 4,000 people. I suppose somewhere the disciples did get it. 
Because after the death of Jesus, the same Peter that got out of the boat and kind of made this whole mess, he stands confronted with a reality that now it's not just Jews coming to salvation, there's heathens also coming to salvation. And he's struggling, saying, Lord, this is so familiar. We know that you came. The Messiah was all for us. And now you want to save other people? And I can imagine it's again the poor conversation. It's again the other side, the unfamiliar conversation. And then he sees like this big, big piece of material coming out of heaven, full of clean and unclean animals, and God saying, slaughter and eat. And old Peter, good Jewish boy, says, no, I can't. They're unclean. And God's saying, slaughter and eat. And suddenly the penny drops. And the same Peter stands at the first council in Jerusalem as the church needs to make the most important decision in its history. Will we only take the gospel to the Jewish people or will we take it to the rest of the world? And it's Peter that gets up. And he says, God spoke to me. He got the agenda. He got the reality that God wants to use him in the unfamiliar and in the familiar area. He got to the place where he realized, I am the one that carries the presence of God. And if I aim for the unbelieved, whether they're Jewish or not, God will use me and I can make a difference in this world. The only thing I need to do is to bring something. Just bring whatever you have. They did catch on. But the question is, have you yet caught on? Or are you still in the season, in that life stage, in that growth stage of your Christianity where you are saying, Lord, you will use Lorraine. You know, he's like really, he's anointed. We, we have an amazing pastor. You know, when he speaks, God will use him. Or God will use our fawns and Elise. You know, they are so loving They've got everything it takes. Or have you heard that his agenda is using you in the area, not just that's familiar, but also that's not familiar? Have you heard the agenda? God is not busy with the program. You are the program. You are the program. You are the hope of this world, if we carry this faith of the message of Christ into our world. But we need to be restored in our vision. And every year when we, when we bring this generosity message to the church, we can see people being restored. We can see it in the little sacrifices we bring. Now, almost a decade ago, we started with our first generosity ask. And uh, very scared at that stage. This church was not at the same place. It's now, um, we were just one campus in the city, really struggling to make things work. But we understood God is calling us to make a difference in the city. And we came forward as leaders and said, we want to trust God for 400,000 rand for this year to start tree workers in schools and, and start a feeding process and get people to, to get uh, involved in the city and make impact in the city. So let's trust God for that. And we came with this, with this, this thing of saying, can we sacrifice a bit? Not use our tithes or our contribution to the church for this, but let's make a little sacrifice. And that's the reason for this. So we said, can we maybe not once a month eat pizza or do a braai or go on holiday two days longer? We cut it a bit back and we take that money and we, 
we contribute towards a fund that will start up things like a tree process, like a pop-up, like a children's home, to address the needs of our city. We need to go to the other side. You see, pop-up is the other side. Because most of us are not too worried every day we go to work about the people that doesn't have work. Because we have hope. We're not too worried about people not having hope. We're aware of them. We see them. But it doesn't really a burden. Why did Jesus take his disciples on this double whammy? To create in them, in them the capacity to understand. You need to see this. So every year I do this. One year, I know. It's going to be significant. So the first year was 400,000. Last year, our generosity fund ended up in 1.6 million rand. Being contributed by ordinary people just in the city saying, we want to impact the city. Apart from our own work, apart from we going to our workplaces, understanding that's also the other side. We want to contribute to a church to set up stuff like a pop-up, children's home, tree processes, hope, everything. So this year we're considering what are we going to do. Lorraine shared last week, we're going to trust God to plant a doxodeo in Durban. That's kind of a big thing. That's also the other side for Bloom. It's the other side. They're different from us. It's a different culture. It's a different city, different dynamics. Can we in Bloemfontein play a role in Durban? Well, if we understood the generosity of our father, we would be asking him for living water. And I think the season, and as leaders we experience, the season to contribute beyond our own city has come. But that doesn't mean we're going to stay back in terms of anything in our city because we're going to do pop-up at a bigger level and we're going to do tree at a bigger level and we're going to do life center at a bigger level and we're going to trust God to see everything go to another level as we trust God to make everything new in our city. And maybe we don't see everything new yet. But we have eyes of faith that see a whole picture, that see the potential of God restoring our city. So we trust for two million rand for this year. So if you have two million rand that you do not know what to do with, please put up your hand and I will stop speaking. We will only be praising Jesus from here on. Because if I'm going to go home now, like I said last week at Fichard Park, I'm going to go to my office, close the door, cry a little bit. Because it's not nice asking other people for their money. But I'm doing it with confidence because I know that's what God says. So if you have two million, amazing. If nobody has two million, it only implies that 480 people, and there's way more than 480 people in Doxdale Bloemfontein, give 350 rand a month then we have more than 2 million rand. A little sacrifice of 350 rand might be for some guys too much and for other guys, not a challenge at all. There's people in this campus contributing 1,000, 2,000 and even 5,000 rand a month for our generosity fund. But this is what 350 rand looks like for an average family. It's just one braai and not eating too much. Just steaky, worsi, knoffelbroeki, that's 350. You see, for some guys, 
100 rand might be a challenge, but for others, 5,000 might be a challenge. If everybody just brings what they have, we will see a miracle take place. You know, the other day, and this is oversharing, I know, I do it often. If you know me, you'll know. I was sitting in my office and I was struggling through budgets. So just quickly understand the work of a pastor is not just preaching, reading Bible and praying. We also have to work with budgets. We have to set faith budgets. And I was, I was working with a generosity budget and I was realizing if we want to go to Durban and we want to do all the new things we want to do in tree and pop-up and everything, we'll have to ask and trust God for a bigger amount this year. And I felt in my heart a thing of two million. I haven't shared it with everybody. And I was, I was really discouraged in that moment, thinking, you know, petrol price, electricity, all the challenges of the economy, you know, how can we ask people for more in a season like this? This will be crazy. Someone's going to get up, never mind two million rand, give two million. Someone's going to get up and laugh and say, are you crazy? You want to ask for more money in a season like this? And I was really struggling with that. I was a bit discouraged. And I, as I was kind of, struggling through this, my, my, I saw a WhatsApp and it was my wife. And it was one of those very inconvenient things for married men. You will understand it, I said. And she said, will you quickly on your way home, stop at pick and pay and get a few things? Oh yeah, that is the last thing I now want, you know. I'm struggling with big things. Now you want me to go stop at pick and pay. But I'm married for long, so I understand the dynamics. And I replied with a nice little kissy emoji, yes, sure, dear, go do it. I got in my car, and I was driving to the closest pick and pay from Fijar Park campus. And I suppose you could see on my face almost the burden and the struggle, and I was working through this. And as I walked into the pick and pay, there's a, there's a little boltong shop. And from behind the counter, I saw this smiling, electric, excited face seeing me come in. And he shouted, hello, pastor. And I'm usually not excited if someone calls me pastor. But I looked at this guy and I realized he's one of our pop-up students. He's one of the guys that lived in this city with no hope, with no possibility, with no chance. And I'm here working. You know, my, burden, my work is a real burden at the moment. <laughs> and I was looking at this guy and I was seeing, he is so excited about his job. <laughs> I mean, it's not the nicest job. It's like this little window, and he's selling boltong all day long. But I just saw him so electric. And as I walked through Pick and Pay, I just made this, this discovery. We will be crazy if we do not trust God for more. We will be foolish. We will be like this disciples. So focused on themselves. So focused on their own struggle and their own issues. Whether it's pork or not. What God is saying 
See a city. Can you imagine if we have the capacity not just to fill one little bolt-on shop window with a person transformed in Christ, having a job placement, having a future, having hope, but if we have the capacity to raise hundreds and thousands of them in the city, will this city become a place that is new? Yes, it will. How can we not trust for more? How can we not sacrifice more? How? I was at our children's home the other day. We had a small function there. And whenever I go to the children's home, it just breaks my heart. The injustices against children, I think, will deserve a special form of hell. That's just the reality of this world. And we have a children's home. We have 12 babies. And as we got there, we just admitted a new child. It's a baby. Bloemfontein baby. And that little baby was picked up where it was deserted on a sidewalk in our city. You know, it makes you so angry that you can so focus on just the dark side of this world and all the injustice. But if we carry faith, we see the other side. We see the other side of God's restoration and our privilege to step in that place where nobody else is worrying about the babies that's left on sidewalks. But we are worried about them. We run a children's home that is so expensive. If you have to have 12 babies and look after them, it's not the easiest process. But it's because people like us sitting in this room is contributing small amounts of sacrifice that makes it possible to pick up a baby that has no hope, that is experiencing no love, and to be God's presence in that child for this season. Guys, that's why we're doing this. And if you're sitting here and saying, Donnie, I don't have capacity to give, I release you. And I will pray that God will bless you, that you will never again be in this place. Or you don't have. But if you have something in your hand today, I will not be a responsible leader if I do not ask you, what do you have? Will you bring it? Can we trust God to through the little amounts of bread and fish we give? Increase it to address the deepest, deepest needs of people in our city. If you will maybe grab onto that little debit order form, I want to create a moment where you can fill it in. No obligation, only if there's faith in your heart. If you don't want to do the physical form, there's a little QR code that you can scan with your phone camera and it will give you access to the online one. If you in the past already filled in a form like this, please do again because it doesn't necessarily go on for another year. And also if you want to have faith like we do for a larger amount and you want to increase your giving amount, please do fill in a new form. If you don't have all the banking details, you just need to sign twice. There's two places. Write in the amount and your phone number. We'll sort out the rest. We'll call you 
We'll figure rest out. But if there's faith in your heart today, saying we as a family, me as an individual, maybe it's the 50 rand, maybe it's the 350, maybe it's the 5,000. We want to contribute towards this fund to make a difference in, your, in our city. I'm going to pray for us. And I'm going to trust that God stirs faith in your heart. We're trusting God for 2 million rand. We're way, way, way off 2 million at the moment. We're still trusting for that. And thank you that you will be willing to just open your heart and ask God, what do I have in my hand? I'm going to pray for us, and then I'm going to give uh, Lorraine an opportunity to facilitate the last portion of our service. Just to say we use debit orders because salaries are implied and it's just a better method of making sure that we do have available funds. Uh, of course, if you want to contribute in any other way, you're welcome to do it. If you want to give a once-off, many people do. We understand the implications of a debit order, but that's just a method we chose that's very sustainable in terms of our projects. Thank you so much for listening and thank you so much for opening your hearts and thank you so much for trusting with us. That in this next season, guys, we're also going to the other side. Not just the other side of people not having work, the other side of schools and students not knowing Christ. We're also going to another city. And I think that is significant. To share the abundance that God has given us in some small way to another city of Doxadeo being planted. Let's pray together. Father, You've given something in our hands. One piece of bread, a whole basket full of bread. Lord, we just want today to bring what we have and trust you to make it enough to address the needs of people in our city. Thank you that we can catch your agenda and understand you using us. We are so privileged of being part of this agenda of the King making all things new. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this week's message. Make sure that you get connected to this family on mission by joining us at one of our Sunday services.